Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. This is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today I've got a longtime friend of mine, decades now. His name is Rick Neal. He's a master luthier, guitar builder, repair specialist, guitar expert. I think he's got a really interesting perspective. Every time I go over to get my instruments worked on, we always sit and talk for half an hour, so I thought we'd just do it on the show. If you want to learn a couple things, here we go. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, no problem. It's been uh, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. I know that you <laughs> are not accustomed to doing press-style stuff. No, not at all. But I, I think it's cool to get more than rappers and musicians on the show, because I think there's other other stories to be told you know we had skip from cd world on here and oh yeah thaddeus yeah. from sprout city uh-huh. and try to get some people with different stories and different perspectives you know on the show different parts of the music thing here exactly yeah yeah because there's a lot of angles and uh i kind of love all of it all the behind the scenes yeah. stuff and mostly the people who listen to this are musicians but uh how many years have you had this this shop now Professionally, professionally, I'd, I'd say here since like 2004. Yeah, I started kind of small. I still had a, you know regular job then, and and uh, just started doing this again on the side. I mean, I got into uh, luthery a long time ago, and uh, as you well know, you probably know about that since you happen to own one of my guitars. Which I do. I'm greatly appreciative of that fact. I got into the repair aspect of it after I got back into building again after a. a fairly long hiatus from moving around and doing other stuff. And in 2004, I started actually doing it again and, and, you know, charging for my services. So, yeah, I remember you were always kind of our go-to guy back in the day. Right. I know. know. I was always setting um, up your guitars and, and I tricking think, them out and stuff. I think at some point you probably were thinking, I should start getting paid for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Not for you guys. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was cool because... You know, our parents would drive us to the gigs and whatever, but you were the only one who was actually playing music. Yeah. You know, you had a band. Yeah. Uh, Stick Ponies. Yeah, that's right. You know, like you knew what it was like mm-hmm. to kind of be like, what, what, when did you start your first band? 13. Yeah. Yeah. Like the same age as us. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was really young. It was surf music was what was happening. And, yeah. you know, we were playing the Ventures and, you know, we had LPs and would, they, the Ventures had a thing called Learn to Play Guitar with the Ventures, and a bunch of us just kind of started out at once. And I took lead, and a friend of mine took rhythm, and another guy took bass, and we found a drummer, and, you know, we learned that way. We learned three songs and played at the teen club, you know, that kind of stuff. Awesome. It was fun. So was guitar your first instrument? No, no. Did you play in the school band or something? Yeah, I, I did that, which I think is a great route for, for kids to take. I still highly encourage that nowadays. I have a lot of parents that bring their kids in here with their guitars and i just think that's just wonderful that's a great way to start because you get some kind of a educational background of it in a, a more formal setting you know learn to read music and stuff like that but yeah i mean i i started i loved music since i was really young and uh, i mean i started playing uh, gosh i don't know in third grade they had a thing in in school when way back in the early 60s uh, with, where people played a tonette. They, they were like little so plastic like a recorder flutes. kind yeah, of thing? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the teacher would teach, and we'd all play little notes on it. I just thought it was cool. And then I, I think I played trombone for a year in fifth grade. Didn't really like that. But then in seventh grade, I got into saxophone, and I just dug it. I, I love playing sax. And then my, my dad was into service, so he got stationed overseas after that. And we were on the smallest base in the world, I believe, in the Philippines. And uh, they didn't have any band. 
you know, yeah. and I was like, oh, I just got into my instrument and now I can't play. But um, did you get to bring it with you? No, no. no. Okay. It was something you rented it from the school or you yeah. used the school's instrument. And our, our base was so small. I mean, I was in a, set, a combined seventh and eighth grade class, right? And I was an eighth grader. But uh, the locals in the Philippines uh, made guitars and they were really cheap. And one of my friends got a guitar for Christmas. And I thought, man, that is so cool. You know, wow, he's got a guitar. And the Beatles were just starting to happen. Yeah. This is early 60s. And so we'd get books and learn to play that. And I conned my parents into buying me a guitar. I think it cost six bucks. Yeah. Really, it was all handmade. And, you know, you'd bring it back to the States and they'd self destruct. But, um, <laughs> but, um, Couldn't make it through the flight. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't quite make it. But within a year, then we each all had electric guitars you know um and i think my first electric guitar was a handmade knockoff of a, a fender jaguar that i acquired for 45 dollars, including the case and it was awesome i mean it was totally handmade by the by the local filipino uh luthiers and it, it, i loved it and, and so we were playing surf music and early stuff like that you know it was uh it was just great so when you're seeing these uh locally made guitars are you actually uh you know are they giving you the the spiel on like, oh yeah, Jack made it in the back, and you know, they, do you see the shop? Do you see any of that? Are you exposed to it yet? In the Philippines, I saw guys making uh, guitars um, crouched on their haunches on on dirt floors, really, in in with thatched roofs over their heads, so they were building instruments. I'm not kidding you. It, they they were amazing. In like eighth grade. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it was it was pretty amazing being over there. The culture was way different. That's when I realized there was no middle class over there. You were either rich or poor, and most of the country was poor. Yeah. And these were the guys that were the craftspeople. I mean, they made instruments. And it was I was fascinated by that. I thought, God, this is really cool. You know, you can actually make one of these. But I was more into playing music at the time. So it was, yeah. just, a, it was just a lot of fun. You know, we learned Beatles songs, like I said, and Rolling Stones, The Kinks, you know, this kind of stuff. That's what was happening. So, How long did you guys play together? Probably two years of it, we all played together. Nice. It, it was it was a lot of fun, you know. We got to play on the all the clubs on base, like the officers' club and the enlisted man's club and stuff like that. But what, what was it called? Our group, we were the Castaways. Castaways. We had we had a little handmade white jackets that we we got out in town. You know, they had the the locals made those for us. Let's see, our our outfit was black pants, black shirt, white jacket. You know, it was kind of cool. <laughs> After you moved. How long before you're playing music again? Well, I, I never really got into a band when I, I we moved back east to Virginia. I was in high school. Ooh, for three years I lived back there. Never really got in a band back there, but I started getting more into guitar, you know, just playing myself. I was in the folk music thing was happening, so I got more into acoustic guitar. I played that a lot, uh, 12 string I got into. And I think when I was 16 and got my first job, I acquired my first really good guitar. I couldn't wait to buy it. It was a, a Gibson ES-355. Mm. Yeah, they're top of the line at the time. It was a pretty amazing guitar, I thought. But I uh, never, never really played with a band for quite a while after that. I went off to college. My first year of college, I had the opportunity to see, I think I saw Van Morrison when I was 18. And opening for him was this guy named Leo Kotke. And I'd never heard of him. And that guy just absolutely blew me away on acoustic guitar. And then a month later, I saw James Taylor right after his first album came out. And that convinced me I got to get rid of my electric guitar because every time I played really? it in the dorm, I had a group around me. And I'm like, I'm just trying to play, guys. You know, I'm not here to entertain you. And uh, so I traded it straight across for a good uh, acoustic guitar and just totally went acoustic for like five years. You know, that kind of stuff. I just loved it. 
as I'm hearing you talk, it's funny, just in, in the your early years, there's a lot of parallels to when I was first starting out. You know, mm-hmm. I did a year of trombone in right, school yeah. and didn't stick. <laughs> and my first guitar was like a, mine was a QVC knockoff, oh, you know. No. And within a year, I had saved up to buy my own electric. Right, right. And, because the you know, first ones obviously aren't quite there. You figured that out kind of quickly, you know, if you're into it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing is when you start out and you're playing a piece of crap, and you want it enough to keep playing that thing that hurts your hands yes. and then, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. work through it yeah. and, and actually get something you can play. Like, I remember when I used to sell guitars, that was one of the things I would say to people is like, yeah, like you can totally get this thing because it's the cheapest thing we have. And if that's what you can afford, great. You know, if they really want it, they'll play it. Yeah. But if they're just casual and you're not sure, yeah. get them something they can play. Cause... Exactly, because <laughs> you lose inspiration real quickly on a crappy instrument, yeah. real quickly. Definitely. Because it's too much work. You know? they're, they're hard. They're hard on you. So you are focusing on acoustic in those years. What are you, what's your primary instrument? Well, I had a, uh, I think it was a Guild D44 that I traded for, which was a really neat instrument. It was kind of a unique one. They only made them for a few years until they changed it to a 44M, which was maple. The one I had was made out of pear wood, which is kind of an unusual wood for guitars. Yeah. Um, it's more something It's more something that you see in, in recorders, oddly enough. And I thought it had kind of a sweet uh, voice, and maybe that was it. Maybe that that's what that kind of wood imparted to that guitar. But, um, you know, I played all kinds of stuff. I mean, I was into Dylan and Leonard Cohen and... and uh, Jeez, you name it. Uh, Leo Kotke, I tried my best to learn some of that stuff. Early Hot Tuna, Finger Picking, early Steve Stills, you know, this kind of stuff. I really liked that kind of acoustic music. I even, one summer, I even got a hold of some piano music and transcribed some Bach. I learned to play like Minuet and a couple of other of real basic piano tunes that were easy enough to translate over to guitar. So you could read sheet music from being in school? Or? Yeah, exactly. I could read it from being in school, but I was a terribly lazy guitar player. I still don't read sheet music and play it on guitar. I just, yeah. I didn't dig it. I mean, the guitar to me was uh, something I picked up by ear. Um, I had a good ear, probably from my school background, who knows, but I could figure out the chords real quick and see how it worked on to into that song, what the changes were, it just seemed kind of natural to me. So yeah. I got real lazy real fast. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still that way, you know. Did you ever have any formal lessons? I sure did. I mean, uh, when I was in college, I took uh, music theory, uh, which was great. They teach it on piano, though, right? So you kind of, they kind of lay it all out linearly so you can see uh, how chord structures are formed within a certain key and what they are and how they stack on top of each other. And uh, that was great for me because that, that gave you more kind of a, a background for the things I was hearing. I could kind of see how they fit together. And I took vocal lessons when I was there. I was singing like operas and arias and weird stuff like that. But it was great for your for your chops on your vocals, right? Yeah. And uh, so I had that. And then when I got out of college, um, I had an education in uh, sociology, which was really happening in the early 70s. And at that time, the big thing to do was not to become a counselor, but you could be like a parole officer or probation officer. And I ditched that really quickly. I wasn't quite into that scene. I was more of the long-haired, hippie, anti-war protester guy going on then. Yeah. And I really didn't uh, dig that whole scene. So I I thought, I'm going to get a job at a music store, which I did, which was cool, because then I was around a lot of guitars and a lot of good guitars. And uh, 
I eventually ended up with a, a real nice uh, Les Paul Custom from, from that shop, and I bought my first Guild 12-string, which was probably the best 12-string ever made, I think. It's amazing just being in a place like that where you're not only around musicians all day, but you're getting to see every guitar that comes out of yeah. the box and and really developing kind of a sense of of not only what goes into it, but also your your own tastes and and you know like the the feel of a certain style of guitar, you know, whether you're into a Les Paul or, mm-hmm. you know, a Strat or whatever it mm-hmm. is, just kind of developing that is just such a, that's a fun time. It was, it was great. I mean, we were, the store was in Fullerton, California, which is, you know, the home of Fender, Fender. guitars. So we would get Fender guitars shipped in and I'd immediately run over to the factory because they sucked right out of the box, basically. <laughs> the truss rods were rattling, the strings all buzzed. And so I got to go in the back door and, and have it serviced by what turned out to be, a, 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 what was his name, Freddie Tavares, a really famous guy that worked at Fender. I didn't know that, but he'd take me into his back room and he'd tune the guitars up. And it was really cool because he had pictures of all these, you know, rock and roll stars or country stars all over his wall with Fender guitars. So I thought that was pretty neat. But I had no affinity at all for Fender guitars. I thought they were kind of cheesy compared to Gibson's. I was totally a Gibson guy at the time. And I thought, well, you know, this is how you make a guitar with a glued in neck and all this kind of stuff. This is where it's all at. You know, but it was kind of a neat experience getting to go into the back door of Fender, even though CBS owned them at the time. But still, it was the same old, big old factory that they had, and it was re- it was really kind of neat. I bet that seeing that stuff, just working at a store, you see something come in and something's wrong. Yeah, you see the okay, finished product. You, yeah, I mean, you that that'll happen. But actually, like being able to go there and and see it, you know, I feel like all of this is just planting the seeds for it. It kind of was. It, it, it truly was. I mean, I saw here they are on the floor and they're, they've got raw bodies or here's some guy, you know, I couldn't see the painting, but I knew they were painting them in one side. I'd see a guy working on a neck, sanding it or, or assembling the final assembly, stuff like that. I thought, oh, well, here's how they make them. Wow, cool. You know, I didn't think much about it because yeah. I really didn't have that inclination at the time. I wasn't into making things, you know. I mean, it just wasn't where I was at, but I thought it was neat, you know. Oh, here's where they make Fender guitars and amps. Cool, you know. But then uh, after a while, I got out of that. Um, I didn't like working at a music store. I'm sure you can relate to that. Yep, yep. <laughs> as I well know. It has its cons uh, yeah, as well. It, it did have its cons. It was the sales deal. I was not a salesman. I just wanted to sit there and, you know, talk with guys about their guitars. Mm-hmm. It, it was cool at the time. That little music store in Fullerton had, had more Martin guitars than most of the big stores. They didn't have guitar centers or anything back yeah. then, like 73, 4. And so we had like, we had at any given time, we'd have like two D41 Martins, uh, like five or six D28s. Like we had nine or 10 D18s. I mean, we had huge amount of Martins. You know, we'd have 10 or 12 Les Paul Customs. We The the Les Paul... uh, Standard wasn't really a big deal then. They had the uh, the deluxes were out with the mini humbuckers, you know. Uh-huh. So I mean, it was just I, I got to play all those guitars, and, and I know you're an SG freak, and I man, I almost <laughs> got an SG there. I was I mean they were uh, less expensive than a Les Paul, and they were light, and I was playing them. I just couldn't quite bond with them, so I ended up with this Les Paul custom. And about a year later, I ended up trading that in so I could buy a jazz guitar. I was into jazz music, like an archtop. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I really wanted one. Uh, I ordered one from. Uh, 
from Gibson. I ordered an L5 that they were going to make custom, and I wanted them to put a, a, a stereo and a veritone, a stereo plug output, and a, an, a veritone in it like my 355 it had, uh -huh. you know, which it had all these tones, which is crazy to put on an arch top, but hell, I didn't. I thought that was cool. And a year later, I found out they hadn't even built it. And I'm like, they hadn't even started. <laughs> this is Gibson. See, they were already Jesus. in the Norlin years, which wasn't great. And I'm like, geez, you guys, I already traded in two guitars on it that I no longer had. And I'm yeah. waiting for this guitar and you've done nothing. So uh, I said, I said, okay, to hell with that. I canceled it. And I ended up getting a Guild X500, which was one of their arch tops and having a guy put Gibson humbuckers in it, which was probably a mistake, but I did it anyway. That's what I had. So I ended up with two really cool Guild guitars that I had. And uh, at that time, I put the music store I got into, I wanted to get a trade. And a friend of mine, my good friend at the time, uh, was a jeweler. So he got me a job being a, you know, a dirtball jeweler guy in a manufacturing <laughs> jeweler, not like selling jewelry, working in the back room. They're making it from scratch, you know. So I'm working with precious metals and, and incredible stones and stuff like that. But I was the dirtball guy, so I did polishing. Yeah. After all the guys did their repairs and building, I did the polishing. So then I got into fabricating stuff. Okay. And, I, and it really honed my, my eyeballs to look at really fine details because, you know, jewelry's pretty small. Yeah. So I got really good at using a, a coping saw to saw out things, which I used much later, obviously, and stuff like that. It really trained me to look at really fine detail. But you know what? I really didn't like making jewelry. Yeah. It's just my medium, it wasn't you know, soldering, which I learned to do really well, um, or setting stones or polishing or any of that fun stuff. I, I didn't like it. It was cold to me. And it was like, to me, it was like an adornment for the rich. That's, that was my respect for jewelry. Not much. Well, yeah, it's not a product that no, you're invested in really. No, not exactly. It was, it was a skill that I'd learned and I really dug that, but really didn't like uh, the medium of, of making jewelry. So then I decided, ah, I'm going to move uh, back to where I went to college. I'd saved up some money and sold everything I owned except my guitars and stuff. Moved to Santa Barbara uh, with my friend. That's where I went to school. And we were just, you know, chilling out by the beach and walking around like a bunch of hippie gurus for six months, you know, with our hair hanging out. It was a lot of fun. You know, it wasn't <laughs> working. And then we decided to, uh, to uh, let's go up to Berkeley. We heard there's a great uh, Grateful Dead concert going on for Halloween. All right, yeah, we're getting this old VW, and we drove up there. There was no concert. And my friend goes, hey, we got, I got a place we can crash. We can crash here. I know these girls. Okay, so we went up there. Well, the girls, one of them turned out to be my wife. Yeah. Basically, the car we drove up in, we went to drive it back down, and it broke down, so we were stuck in Berkeley for three weeks until yeah. we, we marshaled up some dough to, to get it fixed, and that's when she and I got together. Uh, long story short, I moved to Berkeley with her, um, we decided to get married a few months later. While I was living there, when I first moved up there, uh, someone broke into our apartment and stole my two guitars. Oh, fuck. So all, all of my horse trading and everything over the years, there it went. It was gone. My two best guitars, my acoustic that I'd had for seven years by then, and, and this electric jazz box that I had, gone. I had nothing. You know, and I was broke. I was working little crappy jobs part-time and stuff like that, you know. And so I was just devastated, you know devastated and uh, my friend had gotten uh, I got a tax return and I ended up buying uh, a pretty good uh, Gibson a 355 and my friend was bummed out I guess that I had uh, lost my guitar he he coughed up 150 bucks so I could buy a little acoustic guitar which I oh, still that's have amazing yeah so I had that guitar I bought it it didn't work 
really well. My acoustic, I mean, it doesn't play in tune. I took it back to the shop. I'm like, what's the deal with this? You know, I'll play it here. It's great first position. I'll play a G chord here. And so I, say, I don't get it. And the guy goes, well, I don't know. You got to take it up the street to this guy. He'll fix it for you. Yeah. So I, 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 I met this guy in Berkeley who was a luthier, the first guy I'd ever met that did that. I had no concept of what he did or what was going on. And uh, he took me into the back room and he measures it. He goes, well, the, this bridge has been replaced and the saddle's in the wrong place. It'll never play in tune. I was like, how do you replace a bridge on a guitar? How does that happen? But he, uh, he ended up uh, fixing it for me and uh, it played perfectly in tune. And I was just shocked that he could do this. In the meantime, he pulled out a couple instruments he was working on, building, and they were really weird, eclectic instruments. It was like an electric banjo, but it was based on a Middle Eastern instrument or something. It was all handmade out of wood with just, I was shocked that anybody could do this by hand and make this stuff, you know? Yeah. I was just totally impressed. I never forgot that guy. It turns out that he's now probably one of the most famous luthiers in the world. Really? Yeah. His name's Irvin Samaji, and uh, his guitars are like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. Wow. He was just a, a little guy in a shop in Berkeley to me, right? At the time, we are in Oakland, actually, right up the street. Well, good thing your guitar was fucked yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it was, because that always stuck in my mind. And then uh, after my wife and I got married, we moved back down south, and I ended up working uh, for her dad, who had a wood shop making cases. He made custom cases, you know, not for guitars necessarily, but for any kind of stuff. And I found myself in a woodworking environment and I don't know what happened, but I was kind of had the brainwaves of, you know what, I can make stuff. Yeah. And wow, here's wood and I've never worked with wood. Let's work with wood. And the first thing I thought of, I'm going to make a guitar. So it, I bought wood to do that and I was going to make an acoustic guitar. It was crazy. I just bought a kit because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I think I paid 50 bucks for it. I went to a wood store and I bought some wood and I made a neck and, you know, I was carving it and I shaped it. And I thought, oh, my God, I've got, I've got the hands of Stradivarius here. I mean, everybody thinks that when they first make something, you know. I mean, what, what are you, when you're designing this thing, what are you inspired by? What are you... God, you know what? It was, it, that was it. I was, uh, I felt like I had complete freedom. I could make the headstock look like whatever I wanted. Yeah. The shape of the neck, I based, uh, I made a, a, a soft V neck based on a 1932 Martin I'd played when I worked at the music store. Mm. I thought, wow, I'd never seen that before. Why aren't, it's not round, but it's really a cool shape. And uh, so I, I carved this neck and that's all I had. I had this neck. Yeah. And then I'm like, now I got to bend sides. And I was scared shitless <laughs> i went wow, how am i going oh my god you know i'm reading all there were in those days were books okay yeah. so i bought the the three best books on repairing guitars and building guitars it was irving sloan's how to make a classical guitar was the first one i made and then irving sloan how to how to build a steel string acoustic and you know you read it and it just gives you enough knowledge that you think oh i can do this it's it's that kind of that little bit of knowledge where you're going to get a little trouble but you don't realize it yet right yeah there's no, there's no YouTube tutorial. There's no, oh, there was none of that. There were no resources. There were hardly any places to buy materials. And so I, I just get the neck done and I go, what am I going to do? And somehow fortuitously, I found out there was a class on guitar building at Orange Coast College. And so I went over and I signed up for that. And I signed up for a bunch of instrument repair classes too, like band instrument repairs. Like, oh, okay. So I was repairing like, like violins and violas and, and I was repadding saxophones and doing crazy stuff like that. But the class, I kind of got in on the ground floor. In fact, I was the first person to complete a steel string guitar in that class. And um, the guy that taught it was the, did all the band instrument repairs at Cal State Long Beach. And he was also a guitarist and a guitar player. 
and and his buddy was did the other band instruments and he did all the wooden ones so I learned mostly from him but the guy that was kind of the uh, the mentor of it was named Bob Mattingly who I later came to find out was a, a very respected classical guitar builder from Long Beach he owned uh, uh, World of Strings in Long Beach which is a really well known store in those days I think it's still there I'm not sure but um, I had no idea how well respected he was in the luthery community. <clears throat> He was really kind of a funny guy because he was, he was an old uh, chief petty officer from the Navy. And he, he had a crew cut and he smoked pell-mells, you know, unfiltered, which you could smoke in school in those days. So when he was teaching yeah. a class, he had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And um, just a gruff-sounding guy. But what a skilled craftsman. Just amazing stuff he built. So it was kind of cool getting to be tutored by this guy that was really... Uh, good at it and had developed all these techniques and had, you know, just incredible amount of knowledge on how to do it. And he was at our class every week. So you got yeah. to pick his brain weekly. And after the class, we'd all go out to, what was it, Coco's or something down there and have coffee and just, you know, yak and drink coffee and eat pie and smoke cigarettes for two or three hours after the class. And it was, it was great. So that really got me going. I finished the first one. And I'm like, oh, that's it. I'm going to build more, you know. I built a electric, I think, uh, a year later. And to me, that was just a piece of cake after building acoustic. It, it, it looked great and everything. I did rookie, silly things like I'm going to build it out of solid Paduke. So it weighs about 20 pounds. I still have <laughs> yeah. it. It's heavy as hell. Uh, works. Great guitar, very stable. And then I started two more acoustics. And I, I got all the sides uh, uh, bent. I thought I'm going to do two at once. I'm going to batch build. Mm -hmm. By this time, I'd met some of Bob Mattingly's apprentices and I could see that uh, they were struggling to make a living. Let's put it that way. Okay. They'd make a beautiful acoustic guitar. I mean, I'd look at it and go, wow, you know, my first one was pretty good. You know, you've seen it. Yeah, I, I, Crosby's, I gave it to, right? I gave it to Crosby, yeah. yeah. Um, um, but this guy, wow, it's gorgeous. I can't remember his name. He's a pretty well-known luthier in Southern California now. But um, he built it, and the deal was then you'd go around and you had to dig up someone to buy it off you. You know, you had to sell it because... Who bought handmade acoustic guitars in like 1978? Hardly anybody. Yeah, totally. You know? And you've spent it, all this time building it. Right, right. And now you need to get a return on your investment. Right. So, I mean, he ended up selling this gorgeous guitar. It was $900. And I'm like, man, that, that was good dough in those days. You yeah. could buy a brand new D35 with a case from Martin for, for 900 bucks. Yeah. So why would they want to buy this guy's guitar? That was the thing is what made him want to buy that? And I, I, it took me a long time to realize this. <laughs> it sounded really good, you know. It was yeah. a, it was a good instrument. It was well constructed. Um, he knew what he was doing, but it didn't have a name on it, and that's what made it difficult to sell in those days. It was just like nobody knew this guy. People knew Bob Mattingly. He sold his his classicals through uh, Manny's Music in New York, and he sold them to famous classical players all over the world. But nobody knew his apprentices, you know. So yeah, I think these days it's probably easier to. Uh, you know, if if it has the sound, if it has the feel, you know, a real player, especially a collector type, is not necessarily going to care. But before that is a market, it is. You know, the that's got to be impossible. The market was just beginning to be created. That was the beginning of what they call the golden era of of modern luthery, mm -hmm. where independent people were learning to build guitars and were creating shops to do repairs and build guitars and then market their instruments. But still, it was it was brand new. I mean, who, what would you do? Would you go buy a, one of those from 
Joe Blow, you never heard ever. Would you go to a guitar store, which was traditional, right? Yeah. And buy, oh, I buy a Gibson or a Guild or a, or a Martin, of course. You know, well, you'd go buy something that had been being built for a hundred years that you knew about. So it was, it was a, it was a new era kind of. Yeah. And it was kind of cool. I was there, starting out at the beginning of it, but I was uh, too scared to venture out. Let's put it that way. That's really what it was. I was. Uh, you know, personally, I just started a family. You know, I was mm -hmm. married, working for my father-in-law. I had my first my first child. And uh, I was like, oh, I can't make a living doing this. So, you know, we're just going to, we'll do this, you know, in, in the background part-time. I had two acoustics going. Um, I bent the sides and I joined the back and the top and put in the rosettes. And I had the, the rough neck like laid up and just, you know, sitting around. And then uh, my wife and I moved. Mm -hmm. So I packed up all this stuff, and uh, we we moved uh, to a place where I didn't have a shop. I didn't have access to it, and I was working longer hours, and I just had this stuff stashed for years. And um, so there it sat for a long time until I was uh, able to do a little bit. I started setting up a shop, and then we moved again. We ended up moving up here. And uh, I, it just took many years before I had a, an area where I could build again. Yeah. And that was about probably 2000 I got back into it again. That's after you left Barrett and you're yeah. over here now? Yeah, yeah. Now I'm over here. That's right, yeah. Because yeah. I met you when you were in second grade. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, in like fact, 92 or something? Yeah, I remember <laughs> going to uh, uh, your second grade class on, you know, take your dad to to work to the class day, you know, oh, one of those yeah, deals. Yeah. And I brought in that acoustic guitar I had built. Really? You know, yeah, you don't remember. I don't you remember and Crosby that. were sitting. Crosby remembers there's, that. There's pictures of me and, and me and Crosby in that class. Yeah. And I remember yeah. very little. Yeah. And, you know, Crosby got to introduce me. And I said, yeah, I made this. And, you know, I played a few songs. And we talked about, you know, a little bit about music and a little bit about making it. You know, in second grade, it wasn't too in-depth. But, sure, yeah. but it was really cool. I never forgot that. That was uh, really fun. But um, yeah, over there I didn't have. There was no garage or anything where I, I had no place, no space to build. Yeah. You know? So we got resituated over here where I am now, and it took a few years before I finally, actually about three years I think, I finally went. You know, I'm I'm taking over this area. I'm bring I'm buying tools and machinery again. I had some machines before and I had nothing, so I just kind of started over, and then I started out. Um, I thought, well, I'll just build an electric to get back into this. You know. Yeah. I built one. It took me. I think it was a year of spare time. You know that kind of stuff. Turned out real well, you know. It was kind of a, Crosby played it in, uh, he was playing bass by then in the high school band. Mm -hmm. And uh, he played guitar a little bit too. And I and I let him use it for a couple of things they did at school. Okay. It was kind of a, it was a single cutaway, my own shape and size, like I always do my guitars. I don't know what you say, it was a Florentine cutaway sharp. That one turned out pretty good. So I thought, well, I'll just build another one, you know. And uh, the second one I built was uh, a, a different shape. It was more of a, a semi-hollow body. Uh, that was the first one was a semi-hollow body too, where I'd take a, a, a nice slab of mahogany and I hogged it all out and 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 got a shape that I thought was cool looking. Got a nice maple top and carved it and do all that. I ended up selling that to a guy here in town, uh, who's a pretty well known musician around town. But after I did that, You're not I can say who it was now. Yeah, it was Tim McLaughlin, <laughs> you know, in, in Eleven Eyes. Yeah, you know, he's a uh, he plays his trumpet. He says is his primary instrument. He's a great guitar player. Turned out to be a good friend. I see him. I just saw him a couple of days ago. He brings me instruments from his uh, students. He's also a teacher, awesome. as well as being in two or three different bands that I'm aware of. Maybe more than that. But um, 
after building that, I thought, you know, I've got these two acoustic guitars sitting around yep. that are half built. Maybe I should build those now. So I got I got them out and I started on them. And as I usually do when I batch build, I always end up focusing all the attention on one. So uh, the first one I had was uh, a walnut uh, back and sides uh, with a, uh, I think it was an Engelmann spruce top, actually. And uh, I started on that one. I started on both of them. The other one was rosewood. And then I got them to a certain point and I decided, well, I can only finish one at this time because I was getting slammed for time. I, I worked on the mahogany one until I got it to a good point. And then I... I uh, I remember you coming over at one point and were interested in looking at it and seeing where I was at and all that kind of stuff. Well, because you had showed it to me in middle school. Yeah. You had showed me the pieces. Right, right. And I thought that was so cool, and I never, it never left my head. Yeah. You know, and then we we grow up, we graduate, and we're working at a music store. Yeah. And I'm really just inundated with yeah. all these guitars, and I'm starting to think... Well, what about that one? Yeah. Did he ever finish that one? <laughs> and I so I bug you about it. <laughs> I know. I remember that. And I said, yeah, I'll show it to you. I remember when I was finished, Crosby sent you a text or just, it, it was just something like, it's done. No, no. He was like, he said something about playing it. He's like, oh man, I was just playing that walnut guitar. It sounds so good or whatever. I'm like, why don't you fucking tell me it was done? Yeah, right. When did he finish? <laughs> like two weeks ago. Two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming over. Yeah. That, that was funny. Yeah. Just like when I finished my first, there's something about building an acoustic guitar that's just uh, amazing compared to uh, an electric. Electrics are a lot of fun. I love because I, I play both now. I mean, I like electrics and I like acoustics. To me, they're radically different instruments, the way you approach them and play them. Oh, yeah. And so it's the same thing when you build them. To me, an electric is more of a big woodworking project. And, and an acoustic's more like a, it takes a lot more not skill, but finesse in, in figuring out what you're doing with the pieces of wood because the, each piece is different. They feel different. They they sound different. They respond differently. So how thick do you make that top? How do you cut the braces? When do you know when to stop cutting the braces? Are you happy with that? Does it tap tone well? I mean, there's just so many little nuances you don't think about. When you're building an electric, you're like, you know, you build a telly. Yeah, I'm bandsawing it out. Here <laughs> you go. I'm going to route out for the pickups. Great. Sand it, finish it, you know. I don't mean to demean that, but but when you're doing an acoustic, it's so... There's more variables. There's more variables, and yeah. it's very personal. Uh, the shape of it was slightly different than a dreadnought, and um, the thickness was slightly different than a dreadnought. And that was something I hit on just by chance on my first one I built, because I was limited by the materials I bought for my first one. Yeah. It was cheap. They were made for a classical guitar, and I turned it into a steel string. So they, they weren't as wide as you would have on a typical dreadnought. I, I remember really liking that, too, because yeah. I was... Uh, Wasn't as boomy. Wasn't yeah. as big on your arm, you know? Yeah, and I have kind of a smaller frame, and yeah. I remember really liking the, the triplot style. Oh, yeah. Because I had had that J45, and I love the sound yeah. of it, but it was kind of uncomfortable to play. They they, um, they can be, and they get kind of boomy, too. And, and I'd always played dreadnoughts. I loved them. Yeah. So when I made my first one... It was almost a dreadnought shape. Uh, the the lower bout was a little bit narrower by, it doesn't sound like much, but like three-eighths of an inch. Okay, yeah. But you can feel it. Yeah, you can. But the thickness was uh, about a half an inch less. And that's a lot. That's a lot of volume inside that box. Yeah, And so that made a, a tremendous amount of difference in how it turned out. But yeah, when I finished that, that walnut one, I thought, oh my God, this sounds incredible. I was really happy you know i was like yeah. because you you put a lot of time and thought into what you're doing to create the instrument and then you got to go through the woodworking aspect of it and then you hope that you've you've got it 
gotten it where it's going to be optimal. That's what you try to do. Is it, is it going to flex enough? Did I take enough off this? Do I need to reshave some of the braces? And you, you, you hope that the wood that you selected was, was good enough. You know what I mean? It's just, and it is, I mean, it was high quality wood, but you just, uh, you don't know what it's going to sound like. You know, it'll probably sound good because if you take any time to build an acoustic guitar, uh, regardless of how well the materials are selected and you have half an idea what you're, you're doing, they sound good. They, they really do. It's not that huge of a deal to make a good sounding acoustic guitar. It's a big deal to refine that, make it great sounding. So I yeah. thought this guitar sounded great. I was really happy. I was like, God, this is awesome, you know? Yeah, I was blown away. And, and I remember coming over here uh, for the first time after it had been finished. And I don't remember if it was you or if it was Crosby playing it. But I kind of just knelt down, uh-huh. you know, uh, so I'm I'm really getting a, a full picture of what this thing sounds mm-hmm. like. And I got this picture of like a mixing console in my head. I was like, this sounds like it's already been like perfectly EQ'd and compressed and mm-hmm. it's like on the record, you know. Yeah. It sounds like it's it's 10 steps beyond what you normally hear when you first strum a guitar and just the way that it has bottom end, but it's tailored. Yeah. And it has... It has this sweet kind of overtone in the in the mid range, mm-hmm. the upper mid range particularly. Right. right. Um, and I don't know if because part of the reason I was interested in that is because no matter how many guitars I saw at the shop, I never really saw that many that were walnut. And mm-hmm. so I was curious mm-hmm. as to what it would be. And you know, I played Crosby's, mm-hmm. and so I knew kind of the the his general is, yeah. design of it. It was a m- but, maple, so it's a little brighter. Yeah. You know. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I was I was really curious as to you know what what sound qualities it would have, you know, compared to your usual rosewood, mahogany, whatever. And yeah, it really just blew me away. And I remember going home and going, all right, talking to my wife, like, I think I'm going to sell like three guitars right now. <laughs> and she's like, why are you doing I'm like, you don't understand. It's been, this has been years in the making. <laughs> I wanted to see this thing finished. Yeah. I, and it's I, better I was, than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was really jazzed that you decided to buy that guitar. Yeah. Because you had seen it. In, in all of its various parts, not from the very beginning, but from from when I moved up here, and you saw parts, yeah, and then you saw me years later go, oh, I guess I'm going to build this one now. Okay, now I'm putting it together, and you'd come over and go, oh, wow, that looks neat, and this kind of stuff. So it was yeah. it was so great, UV and the one that bought it. That that was that meant a lot to me. Well, and, and to me too. I I thought that was that was just really something special and unique, and that was that was the reason that I was, you know, willing to kind of pare down mm-hmm. my guitar selection a little bit and go. But this is something that I'm going to have for the rest of my life, you know. Well, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that w- there was something magic about that. Well, and and by then you had kind of uh, been more established as a luthier in yeah, town exactly. and kind of been doing this professionally. And I thought, uh, if I don't jump on this now, <laughs> yeah, somebody's going to. Yeah. So I-, I couldn't pass up. Oh, well, I-, I appreciate that. That was that's great. I mean. I really like the sound of walnut too. I like working with walnut. I love that wood, and uh, it's got—it's just got a certain tonality about it that is uh, sweet. Is a good word for it. It's not—it's yeah. not soft. That guitar's got good volume. A lot of that's, of course, is the uh, because of the top and whatnot. And but it's, it's, done it's to the loud. Top, it's I loud mean, for yeah, yeah. kind of how small it is relative yeah. to yeah. It's not that, it's, it's not that small. That's that's the thing. Is it's got great volume. Yeah. But it's uh, it's. It's got a certain tone about a resonance that is is sweet and balanced and not too mid rangey. 
not too trebly, but the trebles are beautiful on that guitar. I mean, they just... Uh, yeah, it's really finely tuned on both the high and mm-hmm. low, and, yeah. and it's got this nice sustain about it, too, in that you can... Like, if you strum an open uh, G chord... Yeah. You can pause and pause yeah, yeah. and pause and go have a drink and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it come back goes. and it's yes. still ringing. Yeah. You yeah. know, <laughs> that thing also has wonderful overtones. If you, uh, mm-hmm. one of the things I, I show this to a lot of my customers on their guitars, because I always tell them, yeah, we need to do this, this and this. It'll make your guitar sound better. People find it hard to believe they can buy like a $3,000 guitar and it can be made to sound better. But actually, most of them can. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll show them that the the box is capable of more than what usually comes out of the factory and if you if like capo it on the fourth or the fifth fret and then hit a a a c major seventh and then just let it decay Mm -hmm. and then listen to what happens as it blooms inside the box and that's that's what that guitar has and the subsequent ones i've built do too is they bloom you'll hear overtones start rising above the fundamentals and that's really neat. I mean, they got a lot of character to them then. Now, and, is that something that you've learned about the bracing or about yeah. I mean, how, how is it that you can duplicate that on, on other instruments? Well, it, it, a lot of it has to do with the, the bracing, how you carve it, what kind of bracing you use, the material, uh, how tall you make them. That's, that's something I've learned along the way that height and, uh, height and, and thin is, is good. Uh, you can get the same tensile strength out of it but you can reduce the uh the uh, mass so you don't so have not you don't, you're it. not choking off the sound you're actually letting it flex and 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 ring letting the the top flex like a baffle in a speaker too is is mm. real critical how you treat the edges of the guitar and whatnot that's part of it and a lot of it is materials are in the bridge uh in the saddle uh, the bridge patch inside underneath, all of that stuff. It's its little teeny things. And then, like I tell a lot of my customers when I'm working on their acoustics is it's a lot of little tweaks that bring out all the good things. Yeah. You know, I mean, basically when you buy a new acoustic guitar, if you if you spend some dough on it, unless you buy it, there's some brands that are, are really well-tuned when they come out of the factory. Most factory-made ones are just okay, you know. Well, and the thing is, when you say most you can play the same exact model, same year, play 10 of them in a row, and they're all going to have their own character and their own nuances. Exactly. And that's part of the fascinating thing about guitars to me. Oh, it is. Is that you can really, you can find something that that you like and go, I want to get one of those. And then there's a whole future process of whittling it down to finding the one. That's the you know, that's, that's the thing. If you find the one, that's the one you get. You don't go in and play like a, a D28 and go, I want to get a D28 because that one sounds great. Because chances are the other one will sound great, but it won't sound the same. Yeah, you better get and, that and, one. And they're very they're very individualistic. And, and I find that people's bond with the guitar as an instrument is individualistic too. I yeah. mean, I know it was for me. It's, it's very personal. That's I think one of the things I like about the guitar, I think it's a very personal instrument. And you'll find one that you'll play 10 of the same model and one of them will speak to you. You'll yeah. go, that's the one. Why is that one good? I don't know. Is it, is it Monday and they just changed the strings here? I don't know. Yeah. But but something about that will will speak to you. That'll be the one you go, That's I've got to have that one. You just can't 
say, I want that model and that's the one I'm going to get. That's you, the thing I would... And a lot of people do that. That's... Yeah. yeah. A lot of people do that and you buy them over the internet and that's what you get. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's a dicey proposition it's in my gamble. mind. If you can't go in and play it, I'm not quite to that point where I can get behind that. Not with an acoustic guitar and electric. They're a, a lot different in that respect. Yeah, they're all going to sound maybe a little different, but they're pretty much it's the pickups that create what you want with that. Yeah, and really for me though, it's the feel. You know, the like feel when, is, when I was buying my P bass, I, I called store after store after store after store, yep. and was going, "Hey, it looks like you have one of these. Can you tell me anything about it?" And be like, "Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty good. Whatever." And like, yeah, it's pretty "All right, cool. thanks, man. Take yeah. it easy." Yeah, right. And then you know, I got to like the eighth store or yeah. something. And, you know, I'd ask for who's your bass expert and whatever and yeah. talk to the guy and was like, hey, do you have one of these? It looks like you do. And he says, yes. I'm like, have you have you played it? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, it's it's got a couple of dings in it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're going to want it. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't care about that. But how does it how does it play? Right. I know how they sound. What's what's it feel you know, like? What, yeah, what's the right. feel? And he goes, honestly, it's probably the best best playing bass on the wall and i was like box it up okay that's, that's the one that's that's, that's that's because true. when i'm not there to actually feel it you know i'm not gonna have some guy go oh yeah they're great they're all great yeah no 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 See, that's that's <laughs> a generic response to a, a question that you can't answer without being there if you need to find someone like you said find somebody yep. that's played it and goes yes this feels really good yeah or i like that guitar oh, i really like that bass or something about it you know right to me there's like a an instant response if you like it. If yeah. you don't, people will sit there for half an hour playing a guitar and going, you know, I'm not really sure. And, yeah, and, they're, and they're like, trying just stop. to like it. Just stop. Yeah. You're not going to sell yourself on this thing. Yeah, right. I mean, usually, I know in 30 seconds, right. you know, you grab something. That's exactly you right. strum a couple yeah. chords and you go, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you could feel it That's right exactly. away. That's exactly right. On an acoustic guitar, if you... If it has sort of a sound that that you're you're drawn to, even though it may have a crappy setup or something like that, you can usually discern right off if if it's if it's the setup or the instrument, or and, and some of them may feel great, but they just don't have mm -hmm. something else they're lacking, and they just don't feel like they're responding right under your fingers when you're playing, or they they don't ring true inside the body, you know, they're just uh, they're. They're very individualistic things. That's that's yeah. what's that's what's kind of neat about them, I think. You know, well, and with acoustics in particular, the way that they age is really fascinating to me. Because you know, when I when I did buy that J forty five, I played it out of the box when we tuned it up and hung it on the wall, and then I went like six months later. I went and, and uh, was over at Tanny's house, uh -huh. and she's like, "Oh, check out this." I think she had inherited uh, a J forty five from the sixties. And she's like, check this out. It's it's gorgeous. You'll be blown away. Mm -hmm. And I played it, and I was like, I don't want to give this back to you. Yeah, exactly. And, and she's like, you need to go back and, and, and play the one that we've got, and maybe you should get it. And I was like, I don't want that one. It just sounded really stiff, you know, and, and boxy, and right. I didn't like it. And, well, you gotta, and she goes, no, but yeah. you play it now, because it's been on the wall a long time. And I'm like, I, I just, I don't like it. And she's like, next day we're there. And she goes, just pick it up. And all of a sudden, it's singing. Yeah, and it's really responding. Uh, you know, it's yeah. it's it's telling me something. And and I, I think I bought it the same day. And it was just uh, this. There's something about once it's broken in, once it's settled. Um, what I'm curious to ask you is is on the one that I bought that was built over many years. Yeah. Is any of that achieved in the actual physical aging of the wood, or is it the aging of the finished guitar that does that? 
Maybe a little of both. I mean, yeah. the only thing I could say about the aging of the wood, yes, that top was glued up. It wasn't braced until I moved up here. Yeah. But that top was glued up in like, what, 1981, 82, something like that, you know? Yeah. And so from that aspect, yeah, the wood probably continued to reach what you call it, like a homeostasis with the environment. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's come to a, a moisture content that's at the good relative humidity with where it's wherever it's lived, you know. Yeah. I had it out in the desert for seven years, and then I moved up <laughs> here, right? So really different things. Now, I had it all sealed in plastic and everything like that that whole time. And then when I took it out, it had to, to get acclimated to where I was building, right? So some of that might be in there, but it really comes into to aging when you... you assemble it and you brace it and then you put tension on it mm. you've got something dynamic going on in that thing now you've got you've got these strings pulling on it and pulling at that top and forcing it into a configuration where when you hit it it's going to respond a certain way yeah. it doesn't have any of that just sitting around like a piece of lumber even though it's glued up and been sanded down to a guitar top thickness it has none of that but when you put tension on it and play it i've read a couple of things i don't know if they're scientifically proven or not supposedly they are that there's something that occurs in in wood um where when it ages and it's an instrument and you're playing it that uh the the fibers and molecules tend to start lining up in a certain way because of the tension on it while it's being played. Hmm. Now, I don't know if somebody's gotten in there and looked at it at a molecular level and go, gee whiz, I see this one's doing this now. But um, I tend to believe that because I've lived with acoustic guitars for years and seen them get better and they've always had tension on them and they, they do that. The wood's only going to age out to a certain extent. It's got a finish on the top. Yes, the inside is not exposed to finish, but it's exposed to the, the elements and whatever environment it's in. But it's the playing it that seems to bring out the best in it, that seems to let the instrument kind of become itself, that if you sense. will. Yeah, And that's what I think it is. So, yeah, even though the, the one I built you was... Older wood, and it was old when you bought it. I mean, you don't buy yeah. a wood for a guitar, and it's like right out of the lumber yard. It's usually, you know, four to however old, really old. I mean, it's been air dried properly. It's not kiln dried stuff from a lumber yard. It's air dried because that's what you want for a musical instrument. You want something that's been allowed to become itself in the environment. It's gonna, it's going to be in, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't just stick it in the kiln and go, okay, it's down to the right moisture content. Let it go. No way. It's not going to do what you want. Maybe on an electric guitar, although you see some of those hanging on walls where the frets are hanging out the sides of the necks and stuff like that because they weren't fully aged properly. Mm -hmm. uh, or you'll see uh, lines uh, in the finish where the, the tops are joined in two places. You'll see a nice line down there. That's the wood's just, you know, that's kiln dried wood. That's not going to work. Or it's not properly air dried wood. Well, let's talk about some of those fixes because you do a lot of repairs nowadays that's that's mostly what i do i mean i love building more than anything but repairs uh pay my bills and that's yeah. <laughs> basically what i do is what it's all about you know got to keep my shop open right? yeah definitely i mean what what's the most common things that you wind up doing is it fret work or or setups i mean that's mm -hmm. that's like luthier's bread and butter you yeah. know uh just basically tuning up a guitar getting it to where it's it's most playable um, it's optimized for the particular player. Do they play hard? Do they play light? What gauge strings do they have? What do they like to play? Do they bend? I mean, all of this kind of stuff. You do, you know, you ask your customers 
how do you play guitar? Play something for me. You know, mm -hmm. if it's an acoustic, do you play heavy? Do you play light? Do you want it play, set up light so you can play fast? Are you a bluegrass guy and you got to cut through because you got a mandolin and a banjo to complete with? You got to have high action and medium strings so they can really wail on it. So you, you kind of get a feel for what what uh, what the the customer wants out of their guitar. What do you want? Are you just going to sit in your bedroom and play and you're noodling around? I can do that too, you know, but I always tell my customers here, I'm going to set it up based on what you told me. Yeah. And then if it's not exactly what you want for 30 days, you can come back and I'll, I'll tweak it the way you want it. Cause yeah. I want you to be happy with that instrument. That way you'll keep playing it. That way you'll buy more instruments and bring them to me, whatever, you yeah. know, it's, but it's like, that's how I treat my instruments. If it doesn't play quite right, then I'm not happy playing it. You know, that's really what it's all about. I um, mean, and I, I like that you have that approach to it because you know i i imagine there's plenty of folks who would just go this is the way that i set up yeah. to nines and, this is and, the way that i set up to whatever you know strings you hand me and one thing i really appreciate is i have taken my stuff to other people like you know 10 15 years ago at this yeah, point sure. but um when i did it was like yeah that's satisfactory and it's cool and then when i take it here yeah. Every time you know exactly how I play, because mm -hmm. you know we yeah. have history, right? But you'll also, I like that you take the time to see what a person's playing style is going to be, so you can go, oh, you know what you're really going to like. Yeah, that that's true. And, and I see, I get a lot of customers who went, oh, I took it to so and so, and I'm not going to mention any names, but it was, yeah. you know, and he did this and this and charged me this, and I'm like, oh, okay, well. Uh, I'd see this, this, and this, mm -hmm. and tell me what you want out of it, and let's try to get it where you're happy with it, because that's what it's all about. I mean, that truly is. It's not a cookie-cutter deal, in my view. Yeah. A setup's not a setup, not a setup. Every guitar, everyone is different to me. It's all brand new. It's like it's a brand new day. I get a, here's another Stratocaster. I've got a, worked on hundreds and hundreds of Stratocasters, or Les Pauls, or Telecasters. I mean, that's, of course, what you see the most of, right? Yeah. That's what everybody's yeah. got, you know? The standards. And, 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 but they're all different. They're all different in that in the, the next different. It was assembled on a Monday or a Friday. Who did that? Um, <laughs> how is the fretwork out of the factory? Did somebody else work on it already? Did they trash the nut? I mean, you get all kinds of stuff where I've seen what other people's work is, and I know that there's some really good luthiers in town, but there's there's people that just have a cookie-cutter approach, and yeah. I, I just don't believe in that. I think that's just not the way it is because they all adjust a little bit differently, sound a little different if you do this to them versus that, and they'll all feel a little different depending on how you approach the various parts that you have to work with. It's just... And I, honestly, I think that that is part of the reason that you were able to carve out your own little part out here for yourself because at the time that you were you know starting to promote and really open your doors to the public yeah. i remember th thinking wow you've got like three four names that have been the only guys in this area for yep. decades yeah and one by one i would see people like oh i took my guitar over to rick man did you I, it's never played like this yeah. before. I'm like, oh fuck, yeah. he's doing it. Yeah. Like that was that was know? tough. It was it was tough to break in. How um, long did that take? I mean, because you were you were doing this while you had another job. Yeah, and then was. there was a transition to doing this full time. I would say, gosh, I mean, when I was doing it part time, I really wasn't able to do enough work. Well, I didn't have that much either. But to get it 
to get the ball rolling, so to speak. Yeah. I really started going crazy on it, um, like full time, I think 2008. Mm -hmm. Then I really did some heavy promotion. I'd say it took me a good uh, four to five years before I had more work than I knew what to do with. Yeah. But, and, and if you think about it, that's actually rather quick. But it is. It is. And it, I, I it, like that when it, I call it, you now, it's like, well, I'm booked up for two weeks. I'm like, that's awesome. Two, <laughs> two weeks is, is good for me. I mean, there was a time last year when I was out six weeks. I had a wow. waiting list that was, I had 15 people on a waiting list that when I'd write the date that they called me and wanted it. And when I'd get to other guitars I had in process on that date, I'd call them. I'd go, bring yours in now, too. And I'd work through like that. It was so you can see though why my building kind of suffered versus my repairs. Yeah, it was yeah. just like I had a lot of work. And uh it's good. It, it was it was it was a good feeling. I felt like, well, you know what, I, I can support myself doing this now. And That's the I've dream, got a, right? I've got a good reputation. Yeah. And um I just love what I'm doing. I mean, this is like a dream gig for me, you know. I work production woodworking for most of my adult life. Uh -huh. And to, you know, to raise my family and do all that, because I was just too scared to go out and do this on my own, because what a huge thing. Like, I can't wait five years when you've got two kids and a roof to yeah. put over their head, you know. And uh, have to have that happen after that amount of time, I thought was uh, really lucky. I feel very lucky. Yeah, I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think it is awesome too. Yeah, let me ask you this: what is uh, what is a really common thing that you get from players that, that maybe we don't we don't understand? You find yourself explaining something repeatedly to people, like, "Oh, we all make the same mistake." Basic people don't understand about acoustic guitars. I think is, I find a lot, and and, and uh, I'll throw a big name out there: is is Taylor guitars. Mm -hmm. When I see one of those come into my shop, the first thing I think is, oh, great. This guy doesn't know how good this guitar can sound, ah. which they can only sound so good in my view. Sorry. Um, <laughs> because Taylor doesn't like bone saddles. Mm. And I'm a big proponent of bone saddles. It's a different material than what he likes. And Bob Taylor has done an incredible amount to push forward the the manufacturing techniques of guitars. I mean, he's really brought that into the future with like C and C's and stuff like that. And yeah. I find that amazing because I'm a woodworker and I came from like fifties or sixties based styles of wood shops that are still in existence. And here's this guy with these incredible computer controlled machines doing these precise things with woodworking. Yeah. I was pretty fascinated when I first came across him. I couldn't believe yeah. I, I, and I still find that amazing. They're so I, he's revolutionized, I believe how to, do the woodworking aspect of it but the end product to me i've always been kind of disappointed with i've never liked the sound of, of their instruments but i know how to make them sound a lot better yeah and the the main thing is that saddle and people don't understand that in an acoustic guitar that uh, uh, the saddle is the transfer point of those strings to that vibrating face mm -hmm. and if you put that different harder material denser material in it it actually works better and i've done that to so many Taylor owners, I can't believe how many of them, they've, they've all been blown away by it. It's a very small thing. It's not a very expensive repair. But from to get back to your question, is that something that you don't understand about your guitar when you buy it? Even if you pay thousands of dollars for it, yeah. is that part of the equation on that? Like you go and buy a Collings guitar, hey, they know to put that in there. They sound very good right out of the box. They're usually well set up too. But there's a lot of guys like... Uh, like I've mentioned, that, that, that that's just not part of their equation for building. Yeah. And to me, I, I, I think that's because they they still have production mind. Even though they've come, you know, eons forward doing machinery to 
make their production more efficient, they're missing something as far as with the output. They're making a musical instrument, and they can make it better. Good feedback. Good tip. Yeah. Thanks for doing the show. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for having me. Of course. <laughs> All right, that is our show. Thank you for listening. Hope you got something out of that. I'm going to keep trying to bring different perspectives to this show, different stories that maybe haven't been told elsewhere. And obviously a lot more rappers because I love what I do. I'm going to leave you with a track where I recorded using Rick's guitar that I, I bought, the second acoustic he ever built. This is from my YouTube series, Stolen Song Sessions, Smashing Pumpkins. The song is called Disarm. you